So we have with us Dr. Timothy Weidman from McGill University in Canada. He is also an esteemed member of the CRIR and he has been making commendable contributions to the field of pain science. Welcome to the Insider Physio podcast by The Physiozest. We get to you discussions with superhumans, super physios and other healthcare practitioners. Sensitivity to physical activity. So say there is a meniscal injury patient that is coming to you. There will be a lot of pain, pain categorizing and they won't like to do their movement. There will be a lot of fear avoidance that will be seen. And a lot of your research focuses on temporal summation of mechanical pain. Could you mm-hmm. expand on that? How, how does that work exactly? Yeah, so we're talking about mechanisms. Um, I mean, there's there's a lot of theory in terms of mechanisms. So, um, so and, and there's been a lot of words, <laughs> words related to this. Uh, so temporal summation of, of mechanical pain mm-hmm. or temporal yeah. summation of uh, pain related to physical activity. I, I currently, I like the word uh, sensitivity to physical activity mm-hmm. uh, because it's, it feels simpler. Uh, and it also doesn't uh, necessarily assume that there's only one mechanism uh, right. that, that's uh, responding to that. So the way that I think about um, that sensitivity, physical activity, and, and a simple way to think about that is, you know, imagine you have two patients and, uh, and you have both of them do a, a six minute walk test, for instance. Mm-hmm. So they go and they walk for six minutes and imagine they walk the same distance just for simplicity's sake. And, you know, they both start on a three on 10 on, on pain intensity. Uh, and one patient comes back and they're still at a three on 10 and the other one comes back and they're at a 10 on 10. So it, it, it's not hard to, to identify the patient that has a more sensitized reaction to mm. that, that same physical activity. And so, so what you, you would uh, identify that patient as having increased levels of sensitivity related to physical activity. Physical activity is a provocative factor when it comes to their pain. And then um, you think about management. Um, and so... If we're doing something like a six-minute walk test, the way that we often frame that in our tra- in our clinical training is we think about that as a as a performance measure, and we think about that in relation to physical capacity. So if somebody goes out and does a physical uh, a six-minute walk test, um, and they come back and it's really low, we would say, oh, well, they're deconditioned. They're not they're not in good enough shape. So let's just go out and exercise them as much as possible, which could be good. But if they're that patient that comes back with that 10 on 10, and you just haven't realized that, mm-hmm. then your approach where you're just going to take this fitness-based strategy to exercise, that's going to completely backfire on you. Because, because as you're setting out and you're using these fitness-based parameters to approach their exercise, they're going to be having these sensitized reactions, and they're going to be flaring up. And chances are they're not going to really want to see you anymore. Um, in terms of uh, continuing with with therapy and continuing to engage in, in physical activity. So the idea with the sensitivity to physical activity is, again, is trying to look at, you know, when we're looking at something like physical function or performance, we're also looking at the patient experience of that. And we're also looking at, at how the patient is responding to that so that we can kind of bring that into the mix when we're, we're prescribing um, exercise. So maybe we wouldn't want to use um, you know, maybe we wouldn't want to use exercise therapy out of the gate, uh, you know, exercise science um, or, or exercise physiology principles 
when we're first prescribing activity, we might want to use like a graded activity approach, or we might want to, um, you know, use use a, a pain reducing intervention that, that's kind of matched with with their exercise when we're first doing that, so that we can be giving something to to reduce that that sensitized response, and that that'll help build up confidence, decrease sensitivity, and kind of help facilitate uh, engagement is the idea. Basically, you would be slowly, slowly building resilience in your patient towards the activity, correct? Yep, yep. And, and the idea is, is um, thinking about assessment so that you can identify those factors uh, mm -hmm. so that you know which patients uh, you might need to do that with, if that makes sense. Okay. So like, how would you come to such a middle ground with your patients during rehab? Because you wouldn't want to like, you know, parrot along the lines of, you know, whatever perception of rehab that you believe in. So is there any specific anecdote or some behavioral analysis of the patient that you can do or a pattern that you follow so that you and the patient are at a middle ground? For their yeah, that's such an important point. So the idea of like, you know, who who's directing uh, care and, and how is that approached? And, and I agree with you. Um, so, so, you know, the, the idea of always validating our patient's reports of pain, always, um, you know, trying to, trying to empathize, trying to show compassion to, to those experiences and suffering that that's, that's one piece, but then, um, but then the other piece is, is how to, how to set goals, how to approach, um, right. Uh, therapy and really the way that I see that is it it has to be a partnership it has to be you know it has to um, make sense to me as a physio it has to fit with what I know uh, about research and, and my clinical expertise and then it also has to align with my patient's values and it has to kind of align with with where they want to go and so uh, you know you asked about an anecdote and and not to be overly specific but but a common challenge in relation to chronic pain is that you, you often get uh, this disconnect between a patient that wants to find um, kind of a, you know, we'd say like a silver bullet kind of cure to their pain. They want to eliminate their pain. And, you know, I've been in situations where it's not that uncommon where, where I've done my assessment and they might have a really long history of pain. They might have a long workup of pain. They've seen a whole lot of professionals. And in my mind, there is, there is nothing that I can do and there's nothing that anybody I know could do in terms of other health professionals that could eliminate their pain. And so, but yet their preference and their goal is to kind of have the complete elimination of pain. So, so what I what I think is important in that context is really to have a frank discussion uh, out of the gate. And I think it's a delicate discussion where, where it's important for me to communicate that prognosis, um, but also to, to preserve hope um, and to preserve um, uh, hope that, that things can get better and, and actually providing uh, a picture of how we can do that together in physio. But also uh, it's important in my mind to not uh, extinguish the hope that a patient might have in relation to one day living without pain completely. I, I don't have tools to kind of bring them there, but I don't want to extinguish that hope that that could be a possibility. Uh, down the road. So, so the conversations that I would have a patient in that context is, is often we would do a lot of like, you know, reflection a little bit in terms of their history. So, you know, imagine you've been living with pain for years, you've seen all these people, and your single focus has been to eliminate pain. And unfortunately, um, that, that hasn't occurred. Uh, pain is still here. 
And then in, you know, inviting them to think forward as much time that they've lived with pain into the future. So five, 10, you know, however many years uh, into the future and say, imagine, you know, heaven forbid that this much time in the future, you're, you're still living with pain. That's a hard thing to think about, but it, it's, a, it's a real possibility. And, and if that is the case, how would you want your life to be different? What would you want to be doing differently uh, in your life if that was still the case? And so what that does is it, it starts to open the conversation to function and quality of life. And these are things that, you know, best practice in relation to pain management that the physios are really well positioned to help with. Uh, helping somebody move more, you know, return to activities that are important to them, uh, and really kind of have a bit more understanding and control uh, of, of their pain. And so slowly trying to paint a picture of, of those different avenues to kind of help that patient. And, and what I want to stress is that this is not a transition that happens in, in one conversation. It's not something that happens in a couple of minutes. It's not something that happens, you know, over just one or two visits. It's a, it's a long-term conversation and, and it's, you know, built on this relationship that you're kind of establishing that first visit. And so the way that I often think about it is, is just, just getting enough buy-in uh, until the next appointment. So, so my goal is just to kind of, um, you know, that we're feeling like we're, we're, we're on the same page and, and that we're, um, and that there's enough buy-in for the patient to get to the next appointment. And for me, that's enough. I, I have enough. If I'm able to think about that in relation to each appointment um, and, and hopefully have good engagement between the appointments, then for me, that, that's kind of enough. Uh, in, in terms of, um, you know, looking at, at that shared shared directing and, and, and finding partnership in, in care. According to you, what skills should every new physio possess to, you know, enter this dynamic field? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. And, and you know, um, I, I don't have a, a good understanding of what entry to practice education looks like. And India, I've looked at your website a little bit, uh, which is wonderful. And, and I think um, it seems like there's some really great resources in there. Um, uh, and I understand that it seems like there's a challenge uh, in India or in your region uh, with, you know, concerns around how how well you're being prepared for practice. And and what I say I would say is that 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 that's a good thing. Uh, that that's how we grow as a profession, and that's how we um, try to do better uh, over the long term. And and what I would also say is that the same dynamic. Um, that we are also kind of um, confronting in Canada and the same thing I see in, in other countries uh, around the world as well. We always want to be doing better. We always want to be a little bit unsatisfied with, uh, with where we're currently at in my mind. And that's how we grow as, as an individual and then also as a, as a profession as well. Um, I would say in terms of the skills, um, I, I would say there's a couple things. So, so one, there are kind of like foundational um, uh, competencies in relation to pain management um, um, expertise, let's say, or 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 um, or, or competency. Um, so so that would involve things exactly what you're pointing at in terms of when it comes to pain, understanding um, the nervous system and its role, uh, understanding how um, plasticity works in relation to the nervous system. Uh, I think it's also really important to understand um, uh, the psychology of pain in relation to a, a physiotherapy scope of practice. Uh, so understanding, um, you know, how thoughts and feelings play into that, how that shapes engagement and activity, and how we can kind of address that in, in the, the context of, of rehabilitation. Um, and I, I think those, for me, 
those are the big factors that, uh, you know, nervous system sensitivity, um, thoughts, feelings, psychology, that, that kind of like are really important in relation to pain, but that go beyond our traditional, um, you know, muscle and bone uh, exercise uh, physiology kind of um, uh, training. Um, and so I think it's a, it's a really important piece to understand that and, and develop new tools in that. The other piece though that, that, um, that I've been focusing on in, in the context of Canada is really on the interpersonal skills. Uh, so it's, it's not enough, unfortunately, in my opinion, just to understand, you know, how, uh, how pain works and maybe understand the principles of different interventions. We really need to develop skills in, in how we approach that with our patients, because that, that is the, a massive key. Um, you know, it, it, coming back to that analogy of, of a patient with a spinal cord injury, you know, in a way, people who are living with, with persistent pain that, that has no great solution to it, they're in a, a, a similar predicament where, you know, there's nothing I'm going to do to this patient that's going to eliminate that pain for them. Uh, really, all that I can do is kind of help them along this, this self-management journey uh, in a way. Uh, so help them better understand what's going on with their body and help them develop tools to, to help themselves uh, in, in a way. And those interpersonal skills are, are absolutely kind of like foundational and essential uh, to that process. So if we want to partner with somebody, if we want to facilitate behavior change, if we want to facilitate understanding, um, then we really need to have uh, good communication skills. We need to have good um, skills and be able to develop um, therapeutic alliance um, and relationships, uh, building things like trust and respect. Um, uh, those, those are really, uh, in my mind, uh, essential pieces of that, that kind of graduating PT competency, but often like overlooked uh, pieces. We need to look at the person as more than just a bag of tissues and bones. And we yeah. need to reconstruct their entire outcome, outlook, sorry. Yeah. 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 And, and you know, I think that's a really great way to frame it is, is really kind of um, being able to come back to to the whole person and, and just thinking about uh, this, this as a person and, and thinking about this as a relationship. I mean, you know, as we go through our professional training, we, we develop so many technical skills and, and so much um, of a, you know, sometimes a, uh, a deeper understanding of narrow aspects of the body, you know, where, where this muscle is, what, where it connects, what nerve is connected to that, um, you know, what is this, this mechanism? But somewhere along the way, we have this tendency to, to lose track of that idea that this is a person and that, that functionally, when we're talking about physiotherapy, we're talking about a relationship with, a, with another person. And, and so much of what we do is, is essential on, on kind of that understanding and that approach uh, to, uh, to care. What is, what is your take on heat modalities for pain reduction? Yeah, that, that's a great, um, that's a great question. So, um, so when we're, when I'm thinking about modalities, I'm thinking about, you know, an intervention that, um, that if I'm in a clinical context, it's a little bit uh, dependent on a therapist. And it also, you know, the, the, the goal is to provide a temporary uh, relief or reduction in pain, um, but it doesn't really uh, cure pain, um, and it doesn't really um, 
it, it doesn't kind of take away pain in the long term, uh, if that makes sense. And so, you know, I, I think the strategies that were given in in the training, if I'm if I'm just kind of extending the training that I had to to maybe the, the training that, that you you have right now, what I imagine is that those kind of modalities they they work all right for acute pain, uh, and when pain has a really good um, is a really good correlate of, of some sort of injury process. So if we're trying to facilitate healing and protection and rest, and then we think about modalities in that context, as we're kind of creating a path to, uh, to disability reduction, that works well. Uh, if on the other hand, we're working then with, with chronic pain patients um, and we, we are not viewing the pain as strongly correlated with an injury, and we are not, we shouldn't be uh, using like a tissue healing uh, kind of parameter for recovery. Then we need to think carefully about how modalities may or may not fit in with, with our therapeutic approach. Um, and, and the way that I, that I frame this with my um, students is, is, is I, I try to take a bit of a nuanced approach. I don't say no, never use modalities, but I really kind of try to frame them as potentially playing a supportive role. Um, and, and the way that I frame this with my, my patients is, you know, when, when you're thinking about chronic pain management, we need to think about helping the patient um, uh, live today. And we also need to think about the patient uh, working for an improved tomorrow kind of thing, if that makes sense. So there's, there's kind of two balances in chronic pain management. And what I would say is a lot of the literature focuses on that working for tomorrow bit. I'm going to do something hard like physical activity. I'm going to engage in this cognitive behavioral intervention. I'm going to do these desensitization activities, not because it makes me feel better right now, but because it's going to help me down the road. That's important. That, that is essential. That is uh, foundational principles related to self-management and disability reduction in the long term. However, our patients that are living with pain, they often feel really bad right now in this moment. And it's important to not overlook that. It's important to not dismiss how somebody is feeling right now and, and the possibility that they might actually be feeling overwhelmed uh, by their pain uh, in, in, the, in the present moment. Or at some point they might have a flare up and they might be also feeling overwhelmed uh, with their pain. And so I think that modalities can have a role to play in, um, in supporting that idea of working for tomorrow. And, and they support that, but in a couple of ways, they help the patient give them tools to feel a little bit more control over their pain. Um, and I think they help uh, create sometimes windows of opportunity where you might have a little bit of a pain reduction and, and you might be able to focus on activity a little bit more or meaningful activity. That said, they need to be contextualized in treatment. If, if that's your goal, they really need to be contextualized in treatment within a broader self-management uh, model and a disability reduction model. And, and so, you know, that comes down to thinking carefully about each modality that you're using in relation to how dependent is it on me as a therapist? Could a patient do this themselves? So if I'm thinking about, you know, a patient with fibromyalgia and I'm thinking about, well, should I introduce interferential current to that patient? Or should I, uh, you know, think about hot packs or TENS? Every time I'm going to go with TENS or hot packs, because that's something that that patient could do themselves. They could get a home TENS unit, they could set up a hot pack, and we could try it out, see the effects in clinic, 
And then immediately I'm saying, okay, this is something now that you're doing yourself. We can use it in this broader strategy to control your flare-ups, to prevent flare-ups, to help you move more. And, and the context is to help you move more. And you know, there's been some interesting research that, that TENS has been shown to be more effective actually in that context. TENS is more effective when it's used uh, to reduce activity-related pain compared to kind of passive or spontaneous pain. But the way that we often use it in, in a clinical setting is have a patient lie flat on their back, uh, not doing anything. Um, so, so I don't wanna dismiss uh, modalities completely, um, but I want to encourage people and therapists to think very carefully uh, about them in terms of um, uh, if they have a role, how can they be used to support self-management? How can they be used to support disability? And how can they be used to help a patient become more in independent or autonomous of me uh, from as a healthcare provider? Uh, so that, that ultimately we're leading towards them managing the, their condition, them, them being the expert in their pain management. That's true. What I usually observe in my practice would be that a patient would prefer a heat modality because that provides them instant relief with their flare up. And they don't see that same when you, you know, you give them exercises or anything. So mm -hmm. to what extent would you still allow the use of heat modalities? Because there is still a tiny percentage of chance that the patient will get dependent on the heat modality as a painkiller or something. Yeah, so... Um... So I think we tend to have a bit of a risk adverse perspective with, um, with physio. And, and I think, you know, when we're thinking about dependency, it's important to put that in, in, in context. Um, so, so I think it's a real thing to, to think about how we're facilitating autonomy. So how we're facilitating a patient to have ownership over, uh, over you know, their health condition and ownership over its management, that, that's really important. But a hot pack is something that they could still have ownership over, right? So they could have a hot pack at home that they know how to put on and when to put it on and, and do that in a safe way. And so then if I'm thinking about dependency in that, in that context, that's a low, it's a low risk. Yeah. So if, if, they're, if they're dependent on using that to become active, it's like, well, what, what harm is going to come from that? Um, and in my mind, the harm is, is low. It's certainly lower than something like an opioid where we're using those in a broader sense, in pain management sense, interprofessional sense, we're using those all the time uh, to, to control pain. And, and it has, you know, you, we're seeing in North America and a lot of other countries, just how many problems are associated with that. So if I'm weighing up dependency in relation to a hot pack and an opioid, that risk is, is really low. And I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about, about uh, a patient kind of navigating that risk and be able to kind of use that. So, um, so if it's within an autonomy supportive uh, context, then, then um, it's trying to just put that risk into, into perspective uh, in my mind. And, and I think that's, um, you know, it, it's, a really, it's a really great way to connect with your patients on these subjects is, is to kind of empower them to think about, you know, the strategies that they're using with a risk benefit analysis. So what is this doing from you? What, what does it cost? Um, so, you know, if, if, if a patient is, is going to get a massage or acupuncture, you know, X, X, Y, Z all of the time, that could be good. It could be bad. Um, but, you know, giving a patient tools to evaluate the risk benefits for them uh, might be helpful for them to become more autonomous in, in how to think about that and how to incorporate those solutions uh, into their life.
you hand them the tools. Yeah, and, and you, you kind of try to build them up uh, in my mind uh, together. Yeah, that does put them in a lot of control and gives them a way to drive their own treatment. Definitely yeah. going to use that. <laughs> Great, I like it. I like it. Good. <laughs> okay, so one more concept that really popped out when I was going through your research was exercise-induced hypo hypoalgesia, which is really common in chronic pain patients. And after reading through that, I went in a deep dive, and then I actually observed it too. So, how how does the mechanism of that work? Oh boy, I wish I knew. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, we don't we don't really know uh, exactly how how it works. Um, so, exercise uh, induced analgesia. Um, the way that we think about that is is the endogenous uh, inhibitory system in the body working. So, the idea mm -hmm. that that there's stuff that goes on mainly in my central nervous system that can kind of turn the volume down on pain-related signals. And what we know for folks that are, are healthy and that have a normal um, endogenous inhibitory system is that when they engage in exercise, usually cardiovascular exercise, there's a short period after that where, where they're less sensitive to pain. Um, so if I evaluate something like, like pain threshold levels before and after somebody goes for a run, then what we'd expect is that I could apply more pressure to their body before they say, yep, that's the point where, where it's painful. Um, and we know that the central nervous system has a role to play with that. And we know that the brain specifically, uh, has this kind of top down, uh, you know, turning down, um, de-amplifying, uh, kind of role to play. Um, and then now if we're talking about patients who have chronic pain, we know that they, their endogenous inhibitory system doesn't work properly. It, it has some dysfunction in it sometimes. Um, and, and, um, and we know that it, it has some dysfunction in it in relation to the responses to physical activity. Uh, mm -hmm. So they might go for that run or maybe a walk probably more realistically. And, uh, and now if you apply that pressure, the same amount of pressure before, they're, they're gonna say they have pain sooner, less pressure, and, and they're all, all of a sudden in, in more pain. So, so after physical activity, they're, they're, they're more sensitized uh, to pain. Um, and the way that I think about that is, is again, is really as a function of a bio, biopsychosocial um, phenomenon. So, so amplified nervous system, but, but there's also you know, feedback loops in relation to thoughts and feelings in there. And, and that environmental social context is always, always really important uh, as well. But <laughs> what, what would be your final takeaways for us? What would you say we as physios should always do or the toolkits that we should always have? Yeah, um, that's, a, that's a good question. And it, it's hard to, hard to summarize that. I think, um, you know, pain, pain can be, so if we're thinking about complex pain management, chronic pain management, um, it's a really challenging thing to try to manage. And, and in many ways, it can, it can feel daunting to try to get your head around it. Uh, it can feel frustrating. Um, and, you know, you can be faced with a patient where you have, have no idea what's going on and, on and what to do. And I think, you know, what, what's important in that context is, is really to kind of remind yourself of, of what, what is kind of the minimum goal 
uh, in, the, in that context. And it doesn't, it doesn't sound like much at all, but, but really um, trying to communicate uh, validation and compassion in relation to a patient that is probably suffering uh, if they're coming to see you. Um, in my mind, that, that's the most important thing uh, that we can do uh, in relation to our patients. Anything beyond that is, is wonderful, but, but even if we can't do anything beyond that, make sure that we don't lose that. Make sure that we don't lose that, um, you know, always being able to kind of validate suffering and, and to try to communicate and show uh, compassion in, in relation to it. To me, that, I, I think that's kind of first principles uh, in relation to how, to how to provide care and how to, to be a healthcare professional. That's all from our side. Connect with us on Instagram and LinkedIn. The Physiotest e-magazine launches bi-monthly. Catch our latest edition at www.thephysiozest.com. The Physiozest, signing off. Evolving you, one page at a time.